episode 40, the big 4-0. This is WFS, the Will Ford Show. We are 40 episodes into this show. I am very proud, and and honestly, this took too long to get to 40, but we're here. Let's celebrate 40 episodes with a great show. It's a jam-packed episode this Tuesday. So much going on with, with the NFL. We've got some NBA stuff going on. It's just great. World Series just concluded. The Red Sox World Cha- World Series champions. We've got a lot to talk about during this episode. So let's jump right into it. As I just said, the Red Sox are your 2018 World Series champions. They beat the LA Dodgers 4-1, as I predicted. I predicted 4-0 or 4-1, and I was right. And really, it was just a dominant dominant postseason and dominant just in season in, in its entirety for the Red Sox. They, they completed the best season in MLB history. Most wins in a regular season, and then capped it off with a championship. I mean, this team has got to be up there with one of the greatest teams of all time. And it's it's hard to argue any other team over this Red Sox team. And there's been some great Red Sox teams before. But this one might be the best just in just the way that they they handled the regular season the way they burned through the entire postseason and were just completely dominant. And, you know, the big story for this team was David Price, one of their starting pitchers. He has been notoriously known for struggling in the postseason. But this year... He did struggle throughout the beginning of the postseason. He didn't have a great postseason to start, but when he when it came to the World Series, this man was unbelievable. I mean, his ERA dropped uh, like almost in half. He was extremely efficient, struck out more batters, lasted longer. He pitched seven innings deep in in game five of the World Series, which was incredible, and that was his second start of the series. I mean, he was just great, and it ended any doubt and, and kind of silenced those critics uh, when it comes to his postseason success. And then the World Series MVP for the Red Sox was Steve Pierce. And Steve Pierce is a guy that's been in the league a long time. He's in his mid-30s. And he's been in the league 10 plus years. And he was traded to the Red Sox midseason. And so his story is incredible. He had three home runs and eight RBIs in five games. I mean, he was just absolutely incredible uh, with his clutch hitting and, and you know, with putting, putting games away for the Red Sox. And you can argue... Him and David Price, either one of them could have been MVP. I would have voted, I would have voted for Steve Pierce just because of his offensive impact. But man, David Price was incredible as well. And then on the other side of things, 
Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw is widely regarded as the best pitcher in the league, which I would say he is. Best pitcher in baseball right now. Three Cy Youngs to his name. Uh, statistically, has been amazing in the regular season. But when it comes to the postseason, like David Price, he struggles. He's just not as good as he usually is in, in, the, in the playoff or in the regular season. Kershaw has allowed eight home runs in potential elimination games. And he allowed two in game five. He allowed a home run in the first inning of game five. And I thought after that he was going to get pulled. But he ended up pitching seven innings and then gave up another home run in the seventh. So he's allowed eight home runs in, a, in potential elimination games. That's the most by any pitcher in MLB history. For someone as good as Clayton, Clayton Kershaw, that's just not acceptable. This man just does not seem to show up when it counts for his team in the playoffs. And for the second year in a row, they've been shut out of a World Series victory. Last year by the Astros and this year by the Red Sox. Clayton Kershaw, I think, is an all-time great pitcher, but he's not going to be considered the greatest of all time until he has a good playoff run, a consistent, a consistently good playoff run, where he caps it off with a World Series. Only then will he be considered one of the top two or three pitchers of all time. Certainly not. He certainly won't be one of those guys in my book until he does that. All right, I want to shift gears now to the NBA. We've kind of got some big news, actually. Our first head coaching firing, six game. Well, it's more than six games, but this happened six games into the season, and it's one of the coaches that I didn't have on my list, but I should have probably because I probably should have expected it at some point. But Cleveland head coach Tyron Lue was fired after six games in Cleveland. Cleveland. Now, I, I just think this is unbelievable. I think this is to totally wrong of Cleveland. to do. Uh, Six games without LeBron James is, like, you're obviously going to struggle. 0-6, you don't have the best player in the world anymore. You barely even have an all-star in Kevin Love who is injured. And you've got a bunch of other young players. I mean, not even Brad Stevens or Popovich or or Steve Kerr would be uh, would have a better record with this with this team. This team is just not very good. And and six games, that's nowhere near enough time for for Lou to prove that he can nurture and develop a core of young talent that he has with Colin Sexton and Larry Nance and Clarkson and and guys like that. It's just six games is not enough time to to see if Lou is that kind of coach who can develop a young core. And I think Dan Gilbert is just completely out of his mind for doing this. I think this was all about getting control of his franchise back. And there was reports that he want he was 
he was really excited to, uh, for LeBron to leave, so that way he could have his team back and he could run his team himself again. And now that LeBron's gone, he's just shipping off everybody that was a part of the LeBron regime. Because Tyron Lee was brought in for LeBron, to motivate LeBron, to to uh, manage LeBron. But I think Lou could have been much more than that. This guy went to the finals each year as a head coach. Granted, he had LeBron James and Kyrie and, and Kevin Love. But, I mean, coaching is, you know, it's still... A, a it contributes to a championship team and at nowhere near like it does in the NFL or in, in baseball. Um, coaching is much more important in those sports, but I mean, coaching still has some relevance and some meaning in the NBA. And I think this guy was a good coach and I'm sure he's going to be getting, he's going to be getting calls very soon. I just think it's inexplicable for Dan Gilbert to, fire a coach after six games you don't even know really what you have and you didn't even give him enough time to see if he can develop some of the young players he has so we had a historic night in the nba last night clay thompson hit an nba record 14 threes and had 52 points in three quarters and and uh, and on his 14 threes, he, it was only it only took him five dribbles. Uh, that's just incredible. Now Clay Thompson is obviously more of a spot up shooter than he is a a ball handler, and he doesn't create shots on his own. He creates shots by you know getting open, using screens, and it comes within the flow of the Warriors' offense. But man, Clay Thompson is the he's probably the fourth best player on the Warriors behind Steph, KD, and, and Boogie. Yet he like it just shows how good the Warriors are. Having your fourth best player go off. And now they've had three players in the first stretch of in the first stretch of the season. Have 40 plus points in a game. Clay, Steph, and and KD, and two of them had over 50. Steph and Clay. Clay, I think, is the second best shooter in NBA history behind Steph Curry. I, I would put Clay Thompson probably above Ray Allen and and guys like Reggie Miller, even though he doesn't have the the statistics of those guys. Like he doesn't have the the three point um, makes for a career or, or anything like that, but I just think his consistency. I, he's just one of the most the purest shooters I've ever seen. I would put Steph and Clay are easily in the top five all time. I would put Clay at two behind Steph. And then I would have Ray Allen and, and Reggie Miller in there as well. I mean, the guy's just – Clay Thompson could literally – he could literally lead his own team. He's that good. He's a he's very much a two-way player, great on defense, excellent shooter, can get his own shot when, when he's asked to. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Clay Thompson left next year for, you know, his own gig. <laughs> 
I think it's possible. Now, another guy who I think is definitely leaving next year, not necessarily for his own gig, but for money reasons, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant has been talking recently about how he wants paid. He wants that big contract. He's And he's seen these other guys getting these big deals, and he hasn't had one because he's been taking pay cuts to keep to keep the Warriors together. And so basically what I get from this is that he's jealous. He wants to – he wants to – he thinks he's the best player in the world, and he wants to be paid like it. But what I would say is a real champion – a, a real champion would say he doesn't need to be the highest paid player in basketball. He doesn't need that money. A real champion should want to keep his championship team together. That's what I would want to do. Now, obviously, I want to be paid. I want to be paid somewhat fairly. I, I, like I don't want to be out here making, you know, next to nothing. But him making twenty-seven million dollars. Uh, yeah, that's fine. That's plenty of money. Granted, he can make a, he can probably make close to twice that with the, with the new CBA. Okay, maybe not close to twice that, but I mean, like Steph's making forty, and and Katie's making about twenty seven, twenty eight million. I I just think your legacy is the most important thing in in sports. I think it's about winning. I think it's about you know championships and and it's the team game it's not about yourself it's about it's about the it's just about winning that's why we play sports it's to win and i just that's why i don't like this whole this whole thing with durant if it were me i would want to keep the team together and he's just he's jealous and I don't know, but I do. But a breakup is is ensuing for for the Dubs. It's just inevitable at this point. KD, I think, I think right now the only two logical teams that have been talked about are the Knicks, who have been recruiting him. He can definitely get his money there, play alongside a star in Porzingis, a rising star. And they would be a pretty good team in the East and would be a contender in the East for the finals. And then the Lakers with LeBron. I think the Knicks are more likely. Hey, but hey, with Magic Johnson, anything is possible. He can certainly get his money in L.A. as well. It's just that they're not going to have much of a bench with two max players on the team. But I think Kevin Durant just kind of needs to get over himself and be more about the team winning. And Because I thought that's what he was about when he went to Golden State. He's been taking these pay cuts and he's been doing the right things. And now he's going away from that. It's like, oh, now I got my two championships or um, and likely three after this season. I'm, I'm out. I want to keep winning more. I mean, this, we're talking about the greatest team of all time here. Right? The greatest team ever assembled with Curry and Thompson and Durant and Draymond and, and Boogie when he comes back. Even if he's half of what he was, 
He's excellent. Don't even try to compare the 96 Bulls with this team. Granted, that, that Bulls team was a little bit tougher defensively, but they, they're not going to guard Steph Curry. Scotty ain't going to be able to guard Durant. And nobody's guarding Boogie in the post. Now, Draymond and Dennis Rodman, Rodman are pretty similar. So they're they're pretty even in that in that regard, but and then you have you have Clay Thompson. How are you gonna account for Clay Thompson? You're gonna be so focused on Steph that Clay's just gonna be wide open in the corner. Uh, to, to even compare this team to any other team is just uh, that's an argument you're not gonna win. This team is the best team ever assembled, the best scoring team ever assembled. And defensively, they don't get the credit they deserve. This team's incredible, and it's and you know it's going to be gone after this year, um, whether people want it to or not. But yeah, I mean, this team's incredible, and it's going to be broken up because book or because KD wants his money. All right, so that was my rant, my spiel on the Warriors. Um, over to LeBron. We did mention him a little bit. Um, the Lakers have had a kind of a rough start to the season. They're two and five, I believe, two and five, three and five. And LeBron has said he's starting to lose a little bit of patience. They're making a lot of simple mistakes and over and over again. And you know, they just need to figure things out. And I think the one positive for the Lakers is that they're playing every team tough. They've had a rough schedule. I mean, you're playing against Portland, Minnesota, the Spurs. I mean, it's a tough schedule, man. Like, in the Eastern Conference, they would be much, it would be a much easier schedule. But you're in the West, which is significantly tougher teams. And the slow starts aren't necessarily uncharacteristic for LeBron. I mean, every every team he's been on has started out slow to start the year. When he went to Miami, they started off slow. And they started off slow in Cleveland when he returned. And, and now with the Lakers. But I think this one's a little bit different. I think, I think this season with the Lakers is going to be harder than LeBron thought it was going to be. Because it's without another star. When LeBron left for Miami, he had a superstar in Dwayne Wade, and he had a perennial all-star in Chris Bosh. So when there were when you couldn't figure it out at first, you could turn to another superstar and try to figure out what was wrong. And then the same thing when he goes back to Cleveland. He's got Kyrie, who's a superstar, and K-Love, who was a perennial all-star at the time. Start off slow, but you can turn to each other to figure out what's wrong. With the Lakers, it's a bunch of young bucks and hardened veterans. There's no other superstar on that team. The closest thing to another superstar on that team is probably Brandon Ingram. And he's not a superstar yet. He's not a star yet. He's just a really good young player right now. So this season is going to be tougher than 
than LeBron expected. Now, obviously, they're not contending for a title this year. The Warriors are just too good, too loaded. The Rockets are better than them right now. And I would probably say the Timberwolves are better than them right now. This season is a growing season. This is where they're going to figure out what pieces they want to keep, what young pieces they want to keep. And then they're going to have to figure out in 2019 free agency who they want to sign. What other superstar is going to complement LeBron? And whether it be Clay or KD, Kawhi, Jimmy Butler, whoever it may be. It's going to be a little bit rough until then. But I, I, I have to say that this season is going to be harder than LeBron thought it was going to be. I think he bit off a little bit more than he can chew with this team this season. All right. I want to shift gears now over to the NFL. So... Tons of stuff going on in the NFL right now. I told you that trade the trade deadline was going to be crazy. We've had more player movement than ever before. This is unlike anything we've ever seen. Um, it's, it's almost like the NBA come trade deadline where teams are just trading left and right. Stars are traded. Really good role players and other guys. And, and now it's the same with the NFL where we're having guys traded. And some are stars, some are really good role, uh, like really good glue guys. The the player movement is just continuing to increase year by year. And you know, with that, we've got we've got the trade deadline stuff going on. And then something I want to talk about first, though. Is the Browns talk about more Cleveland news? The Browns fired their head coach Hugh Jackson and their offensive coordinator Todd Haley, and they promoted their defensive coordinator Greg Williams to the interim head coach role. So I, I would say that this this I think this was a long time coming. I did I did agree with keeping Hugh Jackson at first. But, you know, because he's an offensive coach and it's an offensive league and he's he was a really good coordinator for a while. I did like Hugh Jackson and I thought that the 0-16 and the 1-15 seasons weren't reflective of him because of how poor the rosters were constructed, how poorly they were made up. And this year, that's just not the case. Now, granted, they did lose a game or two because of officiating and... You know, if they had a if they had a kicker for the first three weeks of the season, they might have started off better. But from watching Hard Knocks preseason and from just seeing you know things now, press conferences, sound bites, tape, I don't think Hugh Jackson. I don't think he ever knew what being a head coach was. He just kind of was like, "Oh, I'm the head coach." I. This is up to me. That's up to me. But he never really made clear, concrete decisions. Like in Hard Knocks, Haley and and Williams would be talking about something, 
they would suggest something, and then he's like, no, I'm the head coach, so we're going to do what I want to do. But he never really said what they were going to do. It was almost like he never had a plan. And, and trust me, this roster is talented. This is a really good roster. This is the best roster Cleveland has had in 20 years. They've got an, a really good receiving core. They've got a, a potential star quarterback. They've got two really good running backs. Their offensive line's improved. Their defense is the best in the league in turnover differential. I mean, this team is actually really good. It's just coaching, and coaching is huge in the NFL. Not It's, it's not that big in the NBA, but in baseball and football, coaching matters. And I just don't think Hugh Jackson knew what being a head coach was. I just don't. I think he was too self-absorbed and too much I'm the man instead of being the man. He was too, he was too much talk and not enough walk. And and I think that was finally figured out this season. Now I'm kind of surprised with the Todd Haley firing. I know the offense has been struggling, but I thought I thought that was more related to Hugh than it was to Todd. And I kind of thought Haley was under the, the hot seat a little more because Hugh Jackson was under the hot seat. So I, I was kind of surprised by that. But now having Greg Williams as the, head, as the interim head coach, this is interesting. Because Greg Williams is a ruthless guy. He cusses players out on the sideline. He doesn't care. He'll call you out. He'll kick you off the team. But what's interesting about Greg Williams is he used to be the defensive coordinator in New Orleans during Bounty Gate. He was the guy responsible for that whole scandal, that, that the whole Bounty Game, forced, or telling players to intentionally hurt the opposing team. I just think that's interesting. I'd, I think Greg Williams could be... a, a a good head coach in the sense is he's a motivator. He's going to get at you. And I think that's going to help the Browns. But this this whole Bounty Gate thing kind of worries me. Because he's a very ruthless guy. He, he doesn't care. So it's interesting. And, and Cleveland, once again, they're, you know, they're in a, another low point. In, in the existence of Cleveland sports, it's Cleveland is deep in their woes again, and I don't think their football team is gonna be, you know, bad again for another ten years. I think they're gonna be good in a couple years. They just need the right head coach and the right staff around the players that they have. Now, potential replacements for Hugh Jackson. Um, some odds came out for the next head coach, and right now the the leading uh, the leading man in the odds is Rams quarterbacks coach Zach Taylor. And I don't really know much about Zach Taylor. I don't I don't really know who he is. I've, it's the first time I've read his name. Um, but he's under Sean McVay's regime. He's with Sean McVay, so I do think that that could work based on. I don't really have any knowledge on the guy, just other than he works for Sean McVay. If any of that rubs off onto him, 
and he takes that to Cleveland. I think that could really greatly help out Cleveland. Um, Oklahoma Sooners head coach Lincoln Riley is is in the odds. I like Lincoln Riley. I think that would be a good fit. He coached Baker Mayfield. He made Baker what he was, what he is. I mean, he turned a, a college walk-on into a Heisman Trophy winner and a future number one pick. So I think Lincoln Riley is someone who could really help out the Browns offensively and and help out Baker Mayfield. And then some, there's some other ones on here that are just stupid. Um, Sean McVay. Sean McVay is not going to the Browns. He's not going to leave the 8-0 Rams to be the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. He literally has the best team in the league. 8-0. There's no way he's... He's a... Uh, there's no way he's going to the Browns. That's a ridiculous odd. I don't know what I don't know what these people were thinking putting him in there. Um, and there's there's some obviously there's some other guys like Dan Campbell was a tight end coach for New Orleans. So and some guys like that. Um, and then Michigan Wolverines head coach Jim Harbaugh. I think this one's completely ridiculous as well. Um, he's coaching the Wolverines to their best season to this point. They have a great shot to make it to the college football playoff. Um, we're going to get to the college football rankings. I actually forgot about it until today. The college football rankings, they come out today, the first ones of the season. Um, but the Wolverines are one of the best teams in college football right now. Jim Harbaugh is making substantially more money than he would in the in the NFL. That's another thing. Head coaching, college football head coaches make substantially more than they do in the NFL. I mean, that's that's just a fact. And he's got a great team right now, a great situation. He's not going to go to dysfunctional Cleveland and coach. If he was going to go back to the NFL, he's going to go to a team that is structurally sound. He's not going to go to Cleveland. Cleveland's had 42 head coaches in the past five years. So, <laughs> I mean, there's just no way he's going to go to a, an organization as dysfunctional as Cleveland. And then this last one, Bill Belichick. You think Bill Belichick is going to leave Tom Brady for for Baker Mayfield? No. He's not leaving Tom. They're staying together until one of them retires. Once one gone, one once one is gone, the other one's gonna go. He's not leaving Tom for for Baker, and he's certainly not gonna leave Robert Kraft for the regime in, in Cleveland. He's not gonna go work for their management. No way. That's just ridiculous. McVeigh, Harbaugh, and, and Bill Bell. I don't know who made these odds. You know, one guy who should be in these in this odd and in, in these odds. Um, and I was watching the herd today, and I, I thought it made plenty of sense. Um, Mike McCarthy of the Packers makes a lot of sense because there's a rift between Rodgers and and uh, and McCarthy. It's been 
that's been made known for a couple years now. Rodgers has a little bit of diva in him. He's got a little bit of personality. Same thing with Baker. Uh, John Dorsey used to work in the front office of the Packers with Mike McCarthy. There's so many connections there. It makes sense. He's the guy I would put at the top of the odds. Or near the top. He, he would be my guy in that, in that situation. I think that would totally work. With a young, really good defense. A quarterback who is young and very much like the quarterback you have now in Aaron Rodgers. I think Mike McCarthy makes a ton of sense. Um, so, real quick, I want to go over the, the college football playoff rankings. So the, the, the playoff committee released these today. And I'm not going to go through the the whole you know top 25, but I will do the top four obviously, and then I'm going to do the first two out, and then maybe some other notables. But the top four for the playoff, obviously number one is Alabama. That's pretty clear, cut and dry. Number two, Clemson. Number three is LSU. I thought that was a bit of a surprise. And LSU has been really good this year, but I just didn't think they would be in the top four. I thought they would have been one of the first two out. And the number four is Notre Dame. And I really love Notre Dame. I've liked them since the beginning of the season. Uh, I may not have made it, you know, publicly known on the show, but I, I and I haven't talked much college football. Um, but it's certainly something I'm going to talk about more with the official college football playoff rankings out. That's It's going to be something of a week-to-week thing. So the top four, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Notre Dame. And then the first two out are Michigan at number five and Georgia at number six. I think Michigan has a great shot to make the playoff. If they beat Ohio State in the game, they're definitely in without a doubt. Assuming they win their the, the Big Ten championship. And then Georgia, obviously really good. Oklahoma's in there at 7. Ohio State is at 10. Now, Ohio State, I wouldn't say is out of it by any means. If Ohio State wins out the rest of the way, beats Michigan, and wins the conference championship, I think you have to put Ohio State in. And if you're Ohio State, you're going to, you hope Michigan um, doesn't lose another game until they play you. Your hope there they are as good as they can possibly be and in as good a position as they can be so that way you can beat them and then get into the playoff. That's the only way Ohio State would get in. Um, and then number nine is Kentucky and number eight is Washington State, two teams at the beginning of the year we never would have even mentioned um but yeah those are the college football playoff rankings i do like that my if i had a if i had to pick right now obviously alabama and clemson would be one two but i think i would put notre dame three 
And then with the way Michigan's been playing lately, I would put Michigan at four. As much as that pains me to say, because I live in Ohio, I'm an Ohio State Buckeyes fan. But I think Michigan is the, the fourth best team right now. I just think that's what it is. Excuse me. I, th- I think Michigan's the fourth best team, and then I would put um, LSU right at five. So, yeah. Um, all right, now I want to go back to the NFL. I got a couple more things that I, w- I want to go over. Um, so the trade deadline might remind you it's not even over yet, but we've had, we've had, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, we had so many trades today. Like I was going to do the, ep- I was going to record earlier, but then I had just had so many alerts coming in. And so I just thought I would wait till later in the evening see if anything else comes up and we've had some big ones um one of the guys i told you to watch out for demarius thomas he was traded today traded to the houston texans for a couple late round picks he was traded he along with a with a seventh round pick was traded for a fourth and a seventh golden tate receiver for the lions was traded for traded for a third round pick from the eagles so the Eagles were in the running for Amari Cooper, didn't get him because Dallas outbid him and got Golden Tate. And so that obviously improves their chances in the NFC East. Um, the Rams got better. Imagine that. The Rams got better. They traded away a 2019 third and a 2025th to the Jacksonville Jags for defensive end Dante Fowler, who is a pretty solid pass rusher. So one of the positions they were kind of lacking was consistent pass rush and they just got it with Dante Fowler so you're going to literally have you're going to have uh Michael Brockers Aaron Donald Ndamukong Sue and Dante Fowler that's an in, that's insane paired with their secondary and their offensive weapons special teams coaching I mean could the rich get any richer and then the Redskins traded uh, traded for Packers safety haha Clinton Dix, so that improves some of the holes they have in their secondary. And then this one is kind of a, a big one, not necessarily in terms of the name, but in terms of the situation. So for any of you who watched the Rams Packers game on Sunday, the Rams won in a close one by by two, I believe. Um, but Ty Montgomery cost the Packers a chance to a chance to come back on the on the final in the final two minutes of the game when he returned a kick out of the end zone a couple yards deep, returned it out to the twenty and got hit hard and fumbled it, and the Rams recovered and then. All the Rams needed was one first down, and then the game was over. And so Ty Montgomery took a lot of heat from Aaron Rodgers and some other players. Um, questions about his character even came into play, which I think is totally wrong. Uh, I mean, the guy made a mistake. Players make mistakes. And Ty said he wasn't told to take a knee. He wasn't told 
you know, anything. He was benched, you know, in the, in the series prior, like in the running back position. But he said that that had no effect on whether on whether or not he was going to take the kick out. He just that he made the wrong decision, and he made a mistake. And I think that's the honest truth. And I think, I think his teammates have to back him up in that situation. It's just a regular season game. Granted, it's a big one, but I mean, players make mistakes. It happens. And Aaron Rodgers is a diva, so he's going to have a huge problem with it. But if you remember the Minneapolis miracle in the NFC Championship last year, Marcus Williams, the Saints safety, tried to undercut Stephon Diggs when he made the catch and he missed him. He completely whiffed, and then you know the rest from there. His teammates had his back afterwards. Granted, they were probably mad and maybe... You know, a lot more mad considering the considering the magnitude of that moment and of that game. His teammates still had his back. And in this situation, a regular season game, nobody had his back. And obviously he made the wrong choice, but players make mistakes. And today he was traded, funny enough, uh, to the Baltimore Ravens. So the Baltimore Ravens fill a need at running back with some depth. And I guess the Packers get rid of their player who, quote-unquote, lacks character. Um, so, yeah, so some big moves. Some of the big names I mentioned did not get traded. Um, I knew I, Le'Veon Bell is not going to get traded. I knew that. I was just, I was just a guy to watch out for. Uh, Pat, Pete, I, I was thinking he might get traded. But nothing more has transpired out of that. Um, the Bills have said they're not trading Le'Veon Bell, or sorry, Deshaun McCoy. Emmanuel Sanders, I think there's still a, a, a chance um, he could be traded. I'm going to check the trade deadline and see when it is up. But, yeah, so we've had some big, big trades. You know, Golden Tate is improving that that already pretty solid Eagles wide receiving core. Um, the Texans, five in a row, you know, they, they add Demarius Thomas, who's actually, it's actually kind of convenient that they got Demarius Thomas because they lost... Um, their speed receiver, Will Fuller, their deep threat to a torn ACL. So adding him um, is huge. So the trade deadline actually is today. So actually, none of those players I just mentioned are going to be... Yeah, the trade deadline is over. That is... That's my fault. The trade deadline is over. It was over a couple hours ago. That's all the trades we're going to have this season. But one of those names I mentioned got traded. So I was right in some regard. Uh, and then some other kind of surprising ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, the player movement in the NFL is just... It's continuing to increase year by year. And it's 
and it's kind of surprising because we we've always known the NBA uh, they've been known for having mayhem at the trade deadline, but now it's become um, obviously the NBA hasn't gone down in or up in any any regard, but the NFL has certainly seen an an, an uptick in trade frequency um, as the years have went on. All right, so the final segment of this week's show, this Tuesday. Like I said, every Tuesday I'm going to do the Ford Food Chain. I like to do it every Tuesday, right after, fresh off of the NFL week, fresh off of Monday Night Football. Uh, So top 10 teams after week 8, number 10, the Chicago Bears. This is a team I, I love. I've told you guys I, I love the Chicago Bears. I love their defense. I love Matt Nagy as their as their offensive-minded coach. Um, Trubisky is improving week to week. He is just getting better and better. Tariq Cohen, their, their speedy running back, has proven to be a tremendous weapon. And they're actually winning the division right now. The Bears are winning the division, and they could end up winning the division if they keep up this level of play. But I still think the Bears are a year or two away from being a really, really good NFC team. And this team is likely going to be in this Ford food chain most weeks for, you know, many years, assuming my podcast lasts many years, which I hope so. Number nine, the Minnesota Vikings. Now, they did lose to the Saints, but the Saints are a really tough team. Um, they don't have you know, a very good running game, but their defense is playing better, getting healthier. And Kirk Cousins to Adam Thielen, that's just a deadly combination, the best combination in the league. And Adam Thielen has proven to be an elite receiver. And now his eighth game in a row with... 100 yards receiving that ties the longest streak with Calvin Johnson and that's he's the only player to start a season with eight consecutive 100 yard games and he made a crazy catch in that game as well number eight the Houston Texans I really love the Texans Uh, five wins in a row after starting off 0-3 their offensive line is playing better Deshaun Watson is getting healthier week by week now, they did lose Will Fuller, as I mentioned, but they added Demarius Thomas. And that's certainly a significant upgrade in terms of overall production because Will Fuller is only going to give you that those big plays, whereas Demarius Thomas can really thrive off of the, the attention that is given to DeAndre Hopkins. I really like this team defensively Watt with Watt and Clowney. Really good. And this team is a contender in the AFC. Number seven, the Steelers. Uh, James Conner is proven to be a super weapon this year. His statistics compared with Le'Veon's through week eight last year. He's got more yards, more touchdowns, uh, more receiving yards, more just every statistical category. James Conner is has he's outperformed Le'Veon Bell 
from last season. This is a high-powered offense who has a star in the making at running back. Uh, They have one of the best pass rushes in the league, one of the league leaders in sacks. And I love this team uh, in the AFC. I think I put them right behind. um, I would probably put them right behind the Patriots and the Chargers in the AFC. Uh, Number six, the Carolina Panthers. This is another team I love in the NFC. They're my NFC dark horse to win the Super Bowl. Um, Cam has become more consistent thanks to Norv Turner. Norv Turner has been an excellent coordinator throughout the years and been a great quarterback whisperer, getting more consistent play out of his guys. Their front seven defensively is amazing. Greg, Greg Olson is finally healthy, playing well, and their rushing attack is up there with the you know, top 10 in the league. Number five, the Los Angeles Chargers. They are my AFC favorite. Phillip Rivers is as good as ever. He's playing excellent football. Their defense is playing great without Joey Bosa. Now, Melvin Gordon does have a bit of an injury, but they just had the bye week, so he should be healthier. Um, But that's something to watch if you're the Chargers. Because Melvin Gordon has been terrific this year. If they lose him, they're going to lose significant production at the running back spot, even though they do have Austin Eckler. So Chiefs at five. Number four, or not Chiefs at five, Chargers at five. Number four is the Kansas City Chiefs. I did have the Chiefs behind the Chargers um, last week, but I did have to reconsider because the Chiefs actually beat the Chargers. And... I didn't realize that until this week when I was doing my when I was putting this list together. Chiefs actually beat the Chargers, so they have to be in front of them. It's only fair, um, and they do have one less loss than the than the, than the Chargers. Um, but the Chiefs, you know, their their offense is just loaded with weapons. Kelsey, best tight end in football. Cream Hunt is an excellent running back. Terry Kill is the fastest receiver in football, and Sammy Watkins. You know, is really good as well. And, you know, one week for the for the Chiefs, it's Kareem Hunt going off. Another week, it's Travis Kelsey. The week after, it's Tyreek Hill. Sammy Watkins just went off this past week for, for the Chiefs. And if he's your fourth best player on offense, and or your fourth best weapon, I suppose, because he's not the fourth best because of Mahomes, but if he's your fourth best weapon and he's producing like that, that's that's troublesome for opposing teams. Now they do have a their, their secondary is worrisome to me. And I think you do need a good defense or at least a solid defense, bend but don't break to to win a Super Bowl, make a deep playoff run, but right now their offense is probably the best in the league. Number three, the New England Patriots. Now they do lack they do lack a bit of a pass rush. Sony Michelle is injured, um, and they're, they're lacking some depth in, in some spots. But Tom Brady is playing excellent football. Offensively, this team has played amazing. 
offensive line is better than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, Tom's got all of his receivers around him. He's got Josh Gordon. He's got Edelman. He's got Gronk. He's got Hogan. Offensively, they're fine. Once they get Sony Michelle back, they're golden. And they're fine without Michelle, but obviously he'd be nice to have. Um, defensively, they're bend but don't break. They play great situational defense. Do lack a bit of a pass rush. But they've proven time and time again but that that is not necessary for them to make it back to the Super Bowl. Number two, the New Orleans Saints. Um, this is my NFC pick uh, this year for the Super Bowl. Their offense is amazing. Drew Brees has broken multiple records this year, and he's no sign of slowing down. Their secondary is much improved. One of the best run defenses in football. All around this team is just really, really good. I love the Saints. My pick to win the NFC, number two. Number one, the LA Rams. They don't have a single weakness, and they just added Dante Fowler to their one minor weakness on their team, which is pass rush. This team just looks fantastic. They, they played a gritty game against the Packers. Gritty win. Came back. Uh, they, they've got the best coaching staff. A really good quarterback, an elite quarterback, the best running back in football, probably the best defense in football now. This team just doesn't have a single weakness, top to bottom, special teams, coaching, offense, defense. They're just incredible. They look fantastic. And, you know, it's hard for... It would be hard for anyone not to pick the Rams to win the NFC this year, but I just love the Saints for some reason. I just had this feeling about Drew Brees and the Saints and Phillip Rivers on the Chargers. I just have this feeling they're gonna that they're going to meet up. This is just something deep inside me that I really feel strongly about. So that is the Ford food chain. Um, real quick, I want to go over my primetime predictions I went four and one this past week uh, Texans versus the versus the Dolphins I picked the Texans got that W Jags versus the Eagles in London I picked the Jags it was a close game Eagles uh, edged the the Jaguars and then uh, Rams versus Packers, I did pick the Rams, so I got that win. Saints versus the Vikings, I picked the Saints and got that one. Patriots versus the Bills, I got that win as well. So 4-1 and one for the week, not bad. And then for this Thursday's game, we have the Raiders and the 49ers. God, that's a snooze. I'm not going to really be watching that. But if I was going to pick a team... Gosh, I don't even know if I can pick a team. This is tough. Raiders are 1-6. The 49ers are 1-7. If I had to pick a team, I'm going to go with the 49ers. I'm going to go with the 49ers for this game. They've got a better defense that's coming around. C.J. Beathard is actually a very, very solid quarterback. Not necessarily a starter in this league, but as someone I would want as my backup. I'm gonna go with the Raider or with the with the 49ers in this game. I'm gonna do it. 
may not be the most appealing choice to anybody, but and this is certainly not an appealing game to watch. God, this is a real snoozer. No thank you. But I'll take the 49ers. All right, that's my show for this week, guys. Thank you for listening. Um, and one thing I want to mention, I might be going to a hockey game here soon with one of my one of my good friends. Um, you know, the new season just started. We were talking about it at school the other day, and he mentioned going to a game. So we may go to a Columbus Blue Jackets game. Um, so that would be really fun. Um, but obviously nothing set in stone yet. But Pretty excited for that when it comes. Um, thanks for listening, guys, this week. Uh, make sure you follow the show on Twitter, at The Will Ford Show. Make sure you rate and review the show on iTunes, like and comment on SoundCloud. Follow me on there as well. We'll see you guys this Friday. It's WFS. <laughs>